Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Asian Americans. This is your host, Jerry Wan, and thank you so much for tuning in. This is the second episode that we are launching here on the 29th of April, commonly known as Haigu in the Korean American community, which literally translates to 429. And today's guest is a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, somebody I've known for a very long time, uh, whose own life has been changed drastically by the events that happened 28 years ago on April 29th, 1992, really motivating her and inspiring her to take a life of public service and doing right by the citizens and the community members of Los Angeles. So really excited for you to listen to my conversation with Grace Yu. Um, if you do have the time, uh, look up some videos, look up some of the articles and tributes and memoirs that have been written about uh, this important day, this unfortunate series of events that happened 28 years ago that has really shaped, that has reshaped Korean American history here in Los Angeles and beyond. So thanks again for tuning in. Hope you're staying safe and so excited to share my conversation with Grace Yu. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans, wherever you may be. Uh, we hope you are staying safe. Um, it is getting nicer out here in Los Angeles in the middle of April. Don't be tempted. Please stay inside and uh, we will see each other again when we get through these times. You know, a lot of what we're being asked to do and a lot of the policies and the orders that are coming uh, not only from the federal government, but particularly from local government, as the people who are making these decisions are closer to and, and are part of the communities that we live in, um, there's been a great number of uh, focus. There's been a lot of focus and a lot of spotlight on local politicians and local city governing bodies and county bodies that are making um, what I would consider smarter and more thoughtful policies um, that are more relevant to the communities that we uh, live and work and uh, play in. So, um, I think focusing on local politics is something that everybody should be doing even more of, um, especially here in California. The city of Los Angeles is uh, the big city, but there are dozens of other um, cities, smaller municipalities and county and unincorporated county areas that are working in concert to make sure that everybody is staying safe and that we are going to get through these uh, challenging times as, as uh, safely as we possibly can. That's why I am so excited to have this guest on. Um, I've known Grace for a number, a number of years. She'll tell you that, well, <laughs> great Grace <laughs> will tell you that I was a, a young uh, college student when she first met me and um, has seen me grow through, grow up uh, through the years. Um, Grace is somebody that I've seen as, uh, for lack of a better term, just a community leader who is a human at heart, really has led with those um, tenets and, and that moral compass of humanity first and in all that she's done. Um, she's the former executive director of the Korean American Coalition. Um, she is wherever she needs to be to help the community um, get what it deserves and do the right thing and stand by the people who uh, need the help the most. Um, this year is a good, a fun year for her. Um, she is one of two people running for the open seat in Los Angeles City's Council District 10, uh, which encompasses a part of Koreatown and a part of West Adams and some of the other neighborhoods in Central and Mid-LA. So super excited to have this conversation with Grace. And so Grace, welcome to the show. Why, thank you so much, Jerry. Happy to be here with Dear Asian Americans. It's been an interesting time in our lives. And I think it's um, a lot of us are going through very many different emotions. Um, the unfortunate side effect of all this is, you know, the, the unfortunate uh, racism and the hate crimes and 
Um, a positive of that, of course, is the coming together of the community to do the good work. And, and somewhere in between, people are learning or wanting to learn more about where we've come from. Um, to, to know where you're going, you have to know where you've come from. So um, really, really grateful that you've made time for us. Um, you are putting your life, your name, your reputation, your everything on the line to, to make a statement to the city and to the constituents of your council district that you are the best person to help set policy um, to make sure that the future that we have um, is the future that we all want and deserve. So thank you for that. I think it's um, admirable and inspiring to see somebody that looks like me um, on or names Short three three letter last names on campaign posters is fun to see always, but obviously you know having known you for for a number of different years, I think it's so awesome that you're uh, running this year. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, you've hit the nail on the head. COVID nineteen has brought out the best in people and the worst, and I've got to believe that the worst is because it's coming from fear, which is always when racism and hatred rears its ugly head. Um, and I'm someone who was here in Los Angeles in 92 during the riots. I was here in 94 after the earthquake. I happened to have been in Washington, D.C. on September 11, 2001. So I've been at the epicenter of some of America's biggest issues in the past few decades. Um, and it gives me greater perspective on what to expect and what we desire out of our local elected officials. And as an Asian American, the, the, the nose, the, you can't run for office, you're Asian, you're a woman. I mean, all these things that are supposed to hold me back ultimately doesn't. It may take me a little longer to say, you know what, I can do this job. I can do this job and I must do this job. Politics is fun. I've been involved as a volunteer, as paid staff on campaigns since the time I was 18, right? And that's more than three decades of this. But it took nearly 25 years before I was ready to say, you know what? I'm qualified to run. I can do this. I was really deferring to other people, but it came to a point where it's like, I'm tired of the way we get treated or mistreated. Uh, Asian Americans are discounted in the city of Los Angeles where we make more than 12% of the entire population. And in 2015, there was not a single Asian American elected in local city office out of 18 members. Fortunately, we had David Rue, who got elected in 2015, and so we had our first Asian American in more than two decades. Mike Wu was the first and only uh, until David Rue came in and became the second Asian American. So, you know, we have a lot of wonderful ideas that we can offer, and the fact that we come from uh, new immigrant status because I'm a first-generation Asian-American, so is David Rue. Our perspective on life would be far different from someone who is, let's say, ABC, or third, fourth generation, or, or Nikkei generation. So let's talk about that. I think it's important to understand your origin story of how you became, how the you family became 
a dual culture um, family of being Korean American. Um, tell me a little bit about how your family moved here around what time and, and why was Los Angeles a destination? So my family immigrated to Los Angeles in 1974. Uh, my mother is a nurse and the United States wanted uh, professionals coming in. And so we landed in Los Angeles. We were actually supposed to be in Louisiana, but the weather was so much nicer in Los Angeles. And um, my parents' friends were here in Los Angeles, so they stayed instead of moving on to uh I could have been grace you with a Southern twang, but <laughs> every once in a while you'll hear me with a Valley uh, accent coming through. Well, we're, we're glad they chose LA. Um, what, Same what, part here. Of, <laughs> um, what part of LA did you grow up in? How was the city back then from a diversity perspective? I imagine it's very different than what we know it to be today. Oh, absolutely. In 1974, when you saw an Asian American at the grocery store or Sears or JCPenney, it was time to be like, oh my gosh, another Asian American or another Korean American. Um, and even in the 80s, when I was at my brother's college in, uh, in Colorado Springs, the stares that I received, this is 1984, and people were staring at my mother and me because we're Asian American. My brother and I were at the mall in Colorado Springs and literally when we're walking down the hall, every head turned to stare at us. This is the mid eighties and this is what Colorado was like. So I know we've got young folks paying attention and listening in and going, wow. Yes, it was a very different time than it is now. Um, we weren't welcome, you know, being called names. And Korea was not a country that was recognized. It was always, are you Chinese? Are you Japanese? Korean, what's that, right? Uh, they didn't have Hollywood and, and the whole Korean pride thing going on back then. I, I think that's a lot of, um, I've, I've certainly had to explain to a friend, a minimum of one friend, what Korea was and who I am. And I'm sure I'm not alone um, as we particularly look at uh, smaller countries in Southeast Asia, um, Cambodia, right. Laos, you know, even I, I bet you even today that most people cannot name some of those countries, nor can they point to it on a map. So I, I think, you know, this show is, is geared towards a collective Asian American population um, based on the fact that we share a lot of collective stories. Um, but you know, it's also important to recognize our individual rich cultures, the languages, the food, the customs that I, th I think make us pretty unique. Um, but particularly now in April 2020, um, some people are going back to the notion that they don't really care what you are and who you are as, look, as long as you look Asian, that, you know, we're, we're going to get a lot of uh, hate, hate towards us. Um, so growing up in the 80s, Growing up in LA in the 80s, um, as you mentioned, with not a whole lot of diversity, particularly from an Asian American perspective, um, how did you grow up to care about issues that affect the community and help you grow into the community leader that I and so many other people know you as? It's just doing the right thing. Uh, I think leaders are people who stand up and are willing to 
do more than others. And I know I just did it because my parents raised me to do what's right, always. Uh, also, when I said, Mom, I'm American. In America, we do it this way. She, she gave me a lesson really early on in life. I think I must have been in like the second or third grade. And she said, when people look at you, they will see you as Asian, not as American. They are going to look at you and you're not the typical Caucasian face. So you will always be Asian. So you better know your Korean heritage. This is probably when I didn't want to go to Korean school or something, right? Uh, but it was true. It made perfect sense. When people perceive me, doesn't matter how perfect my English is, that I can score a perfect on, you know, our SATs here for English. It is, you're not American. I've got third, fourth generation Asian American judges who are friends who talk about how when they get in a taxi cab, the driver will ask or comment and say, wow, you're, you speak English really good, right? We've all been through that, yeah. or most of us have. If you don't live on the coast and you've been in the middle of the United States, you get that response, unfortunately. It, it, it's a weird, well-intentioned, backhanded comment. They're really impressed, right. but it's, right. it's... It's basically we're a foreigner. Sure. Um, that perpetual foreigner, unfortunately, America, as much as we say we embrace diversity, people are afraid. Um, no, I remember a time when being gay or lesbian was not accepted, right? Now it is a completely different culture where everybody knows someone uh, or has a family member who is gay, lesbian, bisexual. Therefore, it is accepted. I'm sure there are places in, in the United States where it's still not wholly accepted, but I think we've done a huge turnaround in my lifetime. Sure. In the last 20 years, the change has been dramatic. And I would love to see that kind of acceptance with all Americans of every ethnic background as well. That would be very nice. Me too. Um, and this is not to discount you know, other people who've had greater and equal struggles, but you know, uh, there's no visible distinguishing factor about the LGBTQ community. So I think that um, acceptance or progress is slightly different than a racial one, where if you're Asian, you're Black, you're Latino, it's just the way you look and people will judge you purely based on the way you look before they find out who you actually are. Um, so I, I think that adds a little bit of, um, I guess pun intended, that adds a little bit of color to the discussion of, I can't change the way I look. And right. you know, if, if you read some of the memoirs of older um, gay white males for many, many years, they hid that and they got by in society without ever showing their true identity even through marriage and kids and, you know, other heterosexual relationships, because that was easier, socially more acceptable to do that. Um, well, I can't pretend to be a white man. So that's a, a challenge that I think I, I fully am aware of. And then some things that I think makes some things a little bit easier, but some things more difficult when it comes to um, um, racial identity. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about um, was you were here in 1992 um, when 
the last time the city of Los Angeles, um, since just recent weeks, just went in the most oddest or most um, strangest senses of, I can't believe this is happening. Um, right. That, that was not a natural you know, um, incident like an earthquake or anything. Um, we have a lot of listeners who are likely born after 1992. We have a lot of listeners who are not from the Los Angeles area or perhaps not too familiar with Korean American history in that context. Um, share with us what happened then and why it's such a pivotal moment that so many Korean Americans point to as a turning point for our community. Well, you have to understand in 1992, the media played a huge uh, role and impact of making Korean Americans scapegoat. There were racial tensions um, coming from uh, the Rodney King incident where white officers beat Rodney King to a pulp. And this is one of the few and first videos where this was shown and when you saw this and the clips would just see cops um, kicking beating down stomping on Rodney King so there was a lot of anger in the community uh, the fact that you had all four officers being found uh, not guilty caused an uproar and when there was a huge riot breaking out, all the wrong pieces were in play. The um, police chief was not where he needed to be. Uh, I forget where he was, but he was not able to be at command center pronto. Uh, the mayor was not around, I, I forget where he was, but all of this happens in, in a snap second. And on TV, you see people looting, fires breaking out, and police and fire departments were told not to go in because it's too uh, dangerous. So you had police officers who are sworn to protect and serve, who are told by their commanding officers not to do what they are trained to do. Uh, and so when those who are looting realized there was no cop to come and stop them. It just kept exploding and getting bigger. The fires got stronger. And uh, we went from, you know, Normandy and Slauson and then came up to Koreatown. What I found most disheartening was the fact that uh, Koreatown was allowed to burn. It felt like, okay, you can go up to Melrose don't go any higher. Don't go further west in La Cienega. There you have the National Guard come in. The, the National Guard did not come into Koreatown. They took their western border at La Cienega. So when, you, when I saw that as a senior in college, it was just like, this is unbelievable. They're not treating us fairly. You protect some, but not others. And I was a college senior, so I left school to come in to help, to be the 411 operator for people who spoke English and wanted to get in touch with Koreans and 
Americans and see what their thoughts for media central. So that's what I did. Uh, I coordinated for younger college age high school students to come volunteer. It was just doing what we could, making people aware of where to go for federal emergency management service, FEMA services for SBA loan activities, sort of like what happened with coronavirus 19. Uh, you also had just complete pandemonium coming through and Radio Korea was a media, a radio station that really was a lifeline, truly the lifeline for Korean Americans who were stuck behind counters because no one could come and get them out. Um, I am not a an owner of a gun, nor do I ever hope to be. Uh, I do not anticipate uh, ever owning a gun, but I will say that without the guns, uh, it would have been very difficult to retrieve and bring uh, people into safety because they were stuck behind uh, behind doors, behind counters from all the looters who did have guns. So it was a scary time. If you've seen any of these pictures, it's it's a visual that is really hard to forget. Uh, people you know, particularly with, with what's been going on recently with um, the need or the desire to better arm ourselves um, with fears. Um, you know, people have, you know, uh, jokingly used the term rooftop Koreans and people know exactly what that means, that our uncles, our fathers, our grandfathers literally took guns and took shelter on rooftops of buildings to uh, not just protect their businesses, but protect lives. And it's something that I, I find fascinating. So there's so many different layers to this. Um, I myself was a eight-year-old, just had moved to America three months prior. And so the really unfortunate stereotype and negative image of black people that I had been told or shared through these experiences was something that I wish I didn't have when I was so young and new to America, that it was, you know, all these quote unquote bad black people that were burning Koreatown. And obviously the news didn't help in quelling any of those fears. And to, even to their credit, my parents were also new immigrants and they only believed what their friends and um, newspapers and radio and, and what church folks told him. So a big impact on my life in trying to figure out, holy crap, I thought this was America and we moved here for a better life and all this is happening. Um, it's hard to see the positive light in some of those things and to restore faith in the system or to believe that the system could be better. Um, but that's actually what had happened because not just you, but um, so many other people, whether it be through governments or deciding to be police officers or get involved in uh, mainstream non-Koreatown related organizations so that this never happens again. Um, what, how did that experience play a role in further wanting 
to be a voice of the people? Because since then, you've been singularly focused on helping the people of Los Angeles, in particular, Koreatown. You know, I was just fortunate to come into the roles, but let me back up and clarify something that many people do not realize. And this is where I fault media. You realize more the highest population of the looters were Latino. They were not black. Mm. So when you say it was a, a black Korean thing, it was like, no, it was an economic thing. When you have a crisis where the poor are continuously getting poorer, they have no options, uh, gang life seems very um, enticing. And I'm actually concerned as to what that really means for us right now after COVID-19, because if there is no hope, if there are no jobs, if the economy is so unfairly set, that there is no opportunity for people to live and survive, you leave no options but for people to survive as best they can. And are we setting ourselves up for a potential additional riot of sorts? Uh, I am concerned that if we don't play this well, by providing the right opportunities, that is exactly what will happen. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm not the only one who, you know, I, I have a family now and um, have worried and thought about extra security at home in a lot of different ways of right. setting up communication channels with neighbors and friends near and far in case, for lack of a better term, Shit goes down. What is our action plan? As crazy as that sounds, it is the reality. And you're right. Um, the media did then, 28 years ago, still does today, play a ridiculously influential role in the way we not only view current events, but also remember history. And even with platforms like podcasts where I didn't have to ask anybody to do this, we have our own methods of communicating what we believe to be the truth, yet we are still extremely influenced um, by media. Um, oh, absolutely. They're doing a little bit better. As much as there are anti-Asian hatred actions occurring throughout the nation, I also see mainstream media covering medical uh, professionals who are of Asian descent, um, talking and touting how great South Korea or Singapore has been in fighting and combating and bringing COVID-19 under control uh, to highlight the positives that include, you know, not just East Asian, but South Asian, yeah. Southeast Asian. I think I really want to say they've done a good job turning it around, but I think it also helps that we've got more um, Asians in mainstream media. Sure. I, I think it's where two things are happened, right? Of course, the general um, populace has evolved and we are open, more open-minded. Um, the people that are making decisions now um, are you know, closer to the way we think, I hope, than some of the more, let's call it traditional um, mindset of, of America years past. Um, but also more people that look like me and you and other folks are 
newscasters, our reporters, our editors, right. our cameramen. And exactly. And the fact that even in the more uh, traditional uh, middle of the country states have in-laws that, sure. that are now Asian American. Right. They have grandchildren that have Asian uh, blood in them. Right. And so it's like, oh, well, my <laughs> my grandchild is, you know, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And therefore, yeah. you know, we love and accept people that we know. And sure. so it's getting a little better. And even, you know, on, on the topic of representation and being in the room where decisions are made, um, those are, you know, uh, being in the room and speaking up are two different things, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, but, st- but step one is representation. Um, so as you mentioned earlier, you know, from being in the city decades ago where there was no particular Asian representation, now this year um, in 2020 uh, with uh, John Lee from 12 with his seat confirmed and uh, with you and David on the ballot in November, we have the potential to have three seats of Asian American descent. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, David's challenger is also of Asian descent as well. Yes. Um, so either way, we'll have a minimum of two, um, two out of 18 or three out of 18 or, you know, one out of eight, one out of nine, right around that 12% number you, you quoted earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's not just slotting in numbers. Obviously, that's not what we're trying to do. It is no. to help um, decision makers, not just the mayor, not just his staff, but the residents of the city feel represented. Um, and not again, not only visually, visibly, but uh, to make sure that our voices are being heard. Um, and that's where we're actually very poor in representing the people. The city of Los Angeles currently uh, seems to have forgotten that 60% of the folks who live in the city of Los Angeles are renters. But almost, I, I think something like uh, nearly half of the city council members not only own their own home, but they have rental property. So their mindset is far different than the average Angelino who doesn't own property. Yeah, I, I think, and I've seen in, um, and I don't know when people are listening to this, but, um, and I don't want to talk too much about current event, but I, I think we're doing a better job than most cities. I hope that, as more time passes and more voices are heard within city hall or at the county office or in Sacramento or, you know, um, hopefully in Washington, that, you know, more sensible and more um, human-minded decisions are being made to protect the least of us because I think we have seen, again, unfortunately, um, we are only as healthy as the sickest neighbor. Our systems are only as good as its protection for the most vulnerable. Um, you have made a career out of fighting for those people, um, whether it was at the Korean American Coalition, doing advocacy work and helping people just feel represented and heard. Um, in recent years, you were very strong and very representative um, on the issue of homelessness in and around Los Angeles. Um, what you do is exhausting. It's exhausting for somebody like me who cares, but it's not my day job. 
I read, I listen, I speak to you, I speak to other people. I have a sense of what's going on, um, but it is not my day job to go and fight on the front lines to do what's right. Um, how do you stay energized and what keeps you going? Uh, I think, as my brother likes to say, this is what keeps me going. This really does bring me joy to be able to help others. Uh, I became an attorney because I wanted to be the voice and representative for those who cannot speak out for themselves. Their voice is so silent. They're so timid. Um, I've never been timid. And I'm very non-Asian because I'm very confrontational. I'm very American. It's sort of like bring it on, right? Um, yes, I do have my Asian tendencies and working in the Asian American community. I got to share this one story. This was like working with 25 other API organizations. These are all leaders, but they're Asian American leaders. And when we were confronting City Hall for something that they were not doing appropriately, I'm like, let's protest. They're like, no. I'm like, you know, there were a handful of us who were like, we need to protest. This is wrong. How dare they? And then, but 20 or so of the group were like, no, very silently. We know they're wrong, but we don't do this. It's like, oh my gosh, right? I'm like, and I, I will never forget because it ended up being Valentine's Day, February 14, 2012. We go down to City Hall. The only thing I can agree, have my group agree to is like, Okay, can I protest by saying happy Valentine's Day and remember the API community? They said, yes, Grace, you can do that. So I went and bought some lays at the Flower Mart early in the morning, right? Nonprofit, always need to save money. Uh, got these lays and then went and put lays on each of the council members saying, please remember the API community while you're doing redistricting. That was our protest. Not these big signs saying, hey, listen to us or don't forget about us, but it was happy Valentine's Day. Remember the API community. Not the way I would have approached doing this, but that was the compromise I needed to do to get the other 20 or so organizations, right? This is what it's like to work with the API community. When we're upset, when we're really stomping angry, we come out and say something really nice and sweet. So they're like, oh, that went really well. You guys were just okay. I go, no, you don't understand. We were pissed. And this is non-Asian community members going, you were pissed? You seemed like really happy about this. I go, no, we showed up because we're pissed. They're like, oh. So really being able to decipher what it really means. Those are the kind of reasons why I always end up stepping up because I get it. I know how upset the Asian American community is, but we're not translating and speaking in a manner that mainstream, uh, the greater society looks at and says, oh, well, the API community is fine. They're not, you know, protesting. I love it when I see Black Lives Matter just in your face at times. Sometimes, you know, most APIs are probably like, not the way we would go about doing it, but we understand what you're doing. Once in a while, I wish the API community would really just stand up and fight for themselves vocally, but that's really hard to do. I think we're starting to see a little bit of it now with the, the post-COVID-19 racism and, and hate crimes, more so than ever before. I see friends with larger platforms speaking up, leveraging those platforms, obviously at the risk of pissing off some other fan base, but 
you got to do what's right in your heart. Um, I think it's a process, right? Because it's it's hard to undo decades of conditioning from family, societal, and even religious doctrines to say humility is good, meek, or you know, right. being meek is good. Um, it always works out. Just work hard and keep your head down, and they'll reward you. And we we realize that not only in the business sense, but even in the political and the governance sense, that that's not true. Um, the silent often go Definitely ignored. So take me to the point where you decided that you had to take matters into your own hands and decided that you wanted to uh, run for office. And you made that decision, not yesterday, but a long time ago. And this has been a long journey for you. Um, so you're now finally on the, the runoff uh, ticket, uh, the two-person runoff. So congratulations on, on that. Um, it's, it's been really um, heartening and heartwarming and rewarding um, for me to to see that process play out. Um, you have to believe that the good guys win at the end of the day. And then so um, I, along with so many others are, are always rooting for you, but share with us why, why is it so important for you? And, and what did you, and what do you want to do with the responsibility once it is given to you? You know, I truly believe government is for the people by the people, right? It, we cannot have a government that is for special interests. We need government that looks out for the little guy. Um, and I'm a poli-sci major, uh, political science, policy, good government policy is something that I believe in. Um, I used to be an attorney representing abused and neglected children in court, in children's court. And I felt great because I was representing the child. The, the one person in the room that didn't do anything but is being affected. Um, usually there's a parent, a mother, and possibly a father and a social worker, and all of these people have attorneys, and the child has an attorney. Being able to help my client, one person, one client at a time, was great. But I always knew policy where I can affect the entire group would be much more impactful and that's my training as a poli-sci major and just living in the world knowing that that is how we need to do it i love the story of the starfish right where some young person is out there throwing a starfish back into the ocean so that it survives and then you've got some adults saying you're not going to save all of these starfish what does it matter and then the young person holds up that one starfish, it's gonna to matter to this one and throws it back into the ocean so it'll survive. Um, I applaud the people who do that, but I want to figure out how to save the entire lot. And so while I'm processing this, it'll take a little longer and some starfish will die, but ultimately I will have hopefully impacted it so I can have you know like the 80, 90% of them survive. And that's how I see government. Um, not always quick, as can be seen now with the stimulus package, but if we're prepared, if we really truly look at the way our government runs, take out the inefficiencies, the roadblocks, and the, the laws that are on the books, even now, that are illegal and have been proven to be illegal, because that's what judges have said, because when uh, 
regular citizens are tangled up with local government and they take them to court each and every time they've won on this issue three separate times you would think that our city government would change the law since we've lost three times but the reason they don't change the law is because it allows city government to make use of that wiggle room that is why we have so much corruption the pay to play and what really caused me to step up and say i must run is the city's pay to play culture i mean i knew it i i knew in my gut but i didn't have proof the proof came about with uh former council member mitch englander last month coming forward and taking a plea uh to his being bribed and fraud and you know all this and then we've got another council member who we know because someone else took a plea on this was getting five hundred thousand dollars in cash to green light and say yes to developments that should never be going up uh, i fought one of those developments there was something fishy i had actually been paying attention to this for 10 years and all of a sudden the city and the mayor are like, no, we say yes, this is a go. It's like, the laws haven't changed. You've denied this three times already. Why are you saying yes? Well, that developer offered me $400,000 to go away. And I was just like, are, are you bribing me? And I, I was getting louder, did you just bribe me? So that the security guard came and he, ran, he, went, he went away. But I'm like, wow, this truly, happens it was unbelievable but all too real and this is what happens in our local city government and as someone who's an attorney who believes in the law and what's right i had to stand up when the city does these dog and pony shows of oh we want your input please join us and finding out that i was duped and scammed and you made me go out into the community make people come out and in the hunt in the hundreds actually we passed a few thousand being civically engaged for the first time and it, it was all a dog and pony show i get it there's politics and everything and i'm not going to win every argument and you know what the people in power have the power but you got to follow the rules if you let your supporters cut through the line not have to wait like the rest of us i i'm just just like at a loss for words because I believe everyone should have to wait in line and follow the process. So that's how I ended up running. You shared a story of really teaching somebody how to fish and making an impact that is greater than, and then one person, I think that is a really appropriate story for you to share because I think whether or not this race turns out the way you want it to, um, the work that you've done and the work that you continue to do uh, has already and will continue to inspire so many others, many of whom look like me and you, uh, many of whom are children of friends of yours and mine, uh, to choose a less profitable, perhaps, but more rewarding, more difficult at times, but ultimately the right path to do what is right. Um, and it doesn't need to be at the highest levels with the fanciest titles. I think the work that you've done and the organizations that you've stood by and 
ran and continue to support um, is a testament that two things. One, all of us can make a difference. And two, that difference with the context of us being who we are, members of the community, and where the policies, the rules, the lines in the sand impact directly um, our parents, our uncles and aunts and our friends and their families. Um, knowing that I think is just absolutely um, amazing that you have played a very, very significant role in our community, in our Korean American community here in Los Angeles um, and, and beyond to, to really inspire um, all of us because it's hard to get people to volunteer for political campaigns. You've done that. It's, it's hard to inspire armies of college students to do the right thing and to march with you and to um, do, do all the things that um, anybody who is even remotely familiar with you and your work, um, you've done that. So um, thank you. It is awesome. I've, uh, I, I am continually excited to see uh, what, what comes. Uh, we have just under seven months until we go to the polls again. Um, I am no longer a resident of the city of Los Angeles, so I cannot vote for you, but I'm happy to help in other ways. Um, and so I, I want to end the show in the way that we um, end all of our shows. Um, and before we do that, I want to invite you to come back as we get closer to election day, because I think there are even more amazing topics that I want to discuss with you, um, particularly given how do you as an Asian American woman um, dare to stand up in a community that doesn't look like you to say that I am the person to best represent you. I, I think those are, that's a, a question that has been on my mind and, and a lot of people's minds as you um, have had the audacity to really stand on a podium and say, I may not look like you. I may not come from where you've come from, but I'm the best person for you and, and your needs. So um, obviously an open invitation for you to come back whenever you want. Um, but the name of the show is The Asian Americans, and it is in the form of, as you mentioned earlier too, it is a for us and by us, and really uh, to us and from us as well. Um, and an all-encompassing letter, a love letter to us. Um, so I, I will start the letter, and if you could help us finish up the show. Dear Asian Americans. It is my hope that you will remember your parents and grandparents history and just really shine brightly in our America. As an American with Asian heritage, let's go do our stuff and just shine and let everybody see what we're made of. The generations of love and uh, inspiration, the ability to come back from losses, from just wars that devastated our home countries. Or if you're Nikkei and you had grandparents and great-grandparents who were um, survived the internment camps. We have a rich and strong history. We are survivors. We are leaders. And I'm excited for our future generations, my niece and nephew. Uh, I know you guys are going to go change this world. And I know my friends' children and these wonderful young Asian Americans are going to 
just have a future Asian American president. You know, Andrew Yang, you did us proud. Good job. And for all of the aspiring Asian Americans out there who want to go into public office, do it. But that doesn't mean just do it right now. It means put in your dues. Go volunteer on campaigns. Get yourself really immersed in this and then make us proud and go run and win. Thank you. And if you're in the city of Los Angeles or if you want to help Grace um, win her seats and, and do right by the people, not only of Council District 10, but for all of us, um, all of us who live, play, work, eat, all the fun things in and around Los Angeles, um, go to our website. It's GraceUCD10. That's GraceYOOCD10.com. Um, figure out a way to get involved. Um, it's a long journey. I know that this uh, um, stay-at-home order has impacted your campaigning. Obviously, there's not a lot of in-person things to do, um, but I've you know uh, seen you pivot digitally and 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 to try to keep your um, base of supporters engaged and, and excited. And um, we'll see how this all p- pans out. But uh, one thing's for sure: whether with the site, whether with or without the title of city councilwoman, I know you're still and always are going to fight for the least of us, the sickest of us, and the most needy of us. So thank you for all that you have done and that you will continue to do. Um, really proud to have known you and, and really honored to have you on this show. And um, we'll see you back on here very soon. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, we recorded this episode earlier in the month. And um, as we were recording, I knew that I wanted to share this episode um, along with Sarah's episode on this day because it means so much. Uh, to speak to people and to leaders in our community who have made the best of unfortunate events to then create many, many layers, many, many impacted levels of positive impact and continue the good fight to serve the least of us. So thanks to Grace for coming on, and we wish her all the luck in the world uh, in her upcoming election in November. If you found my conversation with Grace inspirational, fun, um, it made you smile, please do share it with a friend or two. Follow us and like us on Instagram and on Facebook at Dear Asian Americans and apply to be on the show yourself. Uh, We're getting ready for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month here in the States, uh, more commonly known as APAM. So we're going to be doing a few exciting things. If you are a business owner, have a product that you'd like for us to feature, a book, a project, a movie, a song, anything, uh, please let me know in the comments or in the Instagram DM. And we would love to get those features uh, or get those products, get your things featured and shared with our uh, greater audience. So thanks again for tuning in. Please let me know if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments or suggestions for the show in the Instagram DM box at the Asian Americans. I wish you health. I wish you happiness. And I will see you soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been your host, Jerry Wan.